Welcome to the Wheel of Sport brought to you by Melbourne's Turnstile Network. My name's Ian McNally and with me is my trusty uh, co-host. Co-host? Well, is it how that I think? I'll take that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And what are we hosting here? The, the podcast. <laughs> the Wheel of Should Sport we do like brought to you co- by... <laughs> <laughs> I feel it. like we sh- we're a host has guests but we don't have guests we have listeners all of our listeners are our guests and welcome to you listeners welcome everybody to the wheel of sport um we're we're really excited matt we're here in melbourne australia in let's say intoxicating heat it's i was out in the car today it was 43 degrees on the thermometer i I, (laughs) that's degrees celsius it's it's a wonderful winter, isn't it? <laughs> really festive. <laughs> Nothing like factor fifty to get you in the festive mood. So we've we've both been uh, you know spending time kind of uh, losing our own body weight and sweat and uh, regaining it in uh, putting sunscreen on each other. So, <laughs> so, so it's thirty six uh, degrees, I think, at the moment. Uh, we're recording it up up on a high rise as well, overlooking the beautiful Melbourne Docklands here. Just to put you in the picture. Um, it's it's a beautiful sight. So, Matt, we've got to spin the wheel. It's going to it's going to give us a topic. Uh, I'm going to spin it this time. Okay, on okay. you. Go ahead. The wheel has thrown up some nice things in the last couple of episodes. Are you, anything you're hoping for, Matt? I, I, honestly, I don't know. Something maybe related to the heat or this <laughs> this festivity. Well, here we go. It's the topic for this episode. It's golden moments. Golden moments, like my golden tan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm red. Yeah. Um, so, so golden moments. Golden moments on we, the show. We, it's English football and it's Christmas history. This might seem like a, a topic for winter. Uh, obviously, this podcast is evergreen, but if you are listening to it around sort of the December, January festive time, then... You'll enjoy it even more, I'm sure. When you talk about Christmas history, you're like, a, back 2,000 years ago, there was a small boy who was born in a manger. Yes. You've got me a little bit worried here. No, is, is, no. You're going to take care of this. It's a different Christmas history. We all have our own memories of, of what it is to be a, a football uh, soccer fan um, during the Christmas period obviously there's so many games orange balls is a, is a huge thing for me yeah well you know golden gay times orange balls it, it's, it is very festive I think the orange ball the, the puzzling thing is where do they keep it for the rest of the year they just it just appears the or- and the, for those people who don't know the orange ball obviously soccer generally is played with a white ball but in the snow the white ball becomes defunct because you, you can't seen, see it have you seen footage of games where the white ball is basically invisible I've never never seen it's, it it's absolutely hilarious because everyone's <laughs> charging around following <laughs> this invisible thing and it's just it's like a crazy dance. It's brilliant. So Definitely it's, worth YouTubing. It's kind of true, though, that the the sportsman playing would be able to see the white ball, but it's the spectators Absolutely. at a distance that need the orange ball to be able to see. Yeah. So, um, you've, so orange balls, you're a big oh, fan. For me, you know, as a child, it was just so exciting when the, the orange balls came out. 
Um, you don't see them really anymore due to undersoil heating. It's, uh, it's, and if you do see them, it's, it's not necessary because they don't really leave snow on the pitch anymore. But Yeah, and the Football League as well, they, they instituted the yellow ball, mm. which they, they measured. You could see a fraction of a second. They actually scientifically measured. You could vi- Visibility was a fraction of a second more quick than a, a white ball. Really? Yeah. So, That's and the same. They've done a similar thing in cricket as well with the pink ball. Apparently, you can see that under night lights a little bit quicker than you can okay. the traditional red ball. I'll be so honest. I thought that was just because it was a bit like the test. <laughs> I feel like white balls. This went pink. <laughs> There's yeah, a science behind the, it. The, the kind of the ball had just got a fashion sense yeah. all of a sudden. That's it. <laughs> it's just kind of flamboyant. <laughs> so. Um, it is a special time to watch uh, football in England because England's fairly unique in terms of even in Europe, the, often the fixture list can calm down in, in some European countries. But in, in Britain, it does the opposite. It, it ramps up where you're playing a vast amount of games in a very short space of time. And it's cold and it's winter and it's Christmas. It's intense. For, I'm sure for the players and for the managers and you know people whose job it is to, to be involved in putting those games on. It is intense. Um, but for the fans, it's fantastic. You know, it, these days, it's a lot of moaning managers complaining about the fixture congestion, as you say, fatigue. But come on, it's fine. It's Christmas. Get on with it. I, and I would say, is, is the Boxing Day fixture, that's, that's the most special, isn't it? Well, absolutely. I think, you know, again, more arguments these days about probably the FA not, respecting fans you know getting Plymouth to play in Aberdeen or something when there's been a, a rail strike it's not ideal uh, for the for the real hardcore fans but for the television audience it's brilliant four games in one day on Boxing Day when you're having your you sleep in and you your Christmas leftovers it's perfect yeah what always struck me as going to a game on Boxing Day was the amount of everybody had turkey sandwiches <laughs> everybody even the vegetarians. Oh, it's great. Turkey sandwiches. Everyone's dressed as Santa, uh, hoping for a Christmas yeah. miracle. It's, <laughs> yes. It's absolutely a delight. So, golden moments. Where I feel like you can't just encapsulate this in one moment. So, where are we going to start? Let's have a, a sort of trip through time, a festive journey. I feel like uh, I'm sat next to the fire and uh, Uncle Matt sat me on his knee. He's going to tell me all about football days of yesteryear. Absolutely. I, I feel more like that because it's 36 degrees. That's it. <laughs> it feels like the fire's on. Yeah. But no Christmas jumpers here. <laughs> Absolutely not. So where are we going to start off? Well, look, before we start, uh, let's start with a quiz question. What was so popular that it was banned by the FA in 1921? 1921. It was so popular that it was banned. Something was banned by the football association, the English Football Association, in 1921 because it was so popular. That was their reasoning. Yes. Was but it? Let's do more of that later. Was it the wheel of sport? <laughs> <laughs> so look, on top of you know the beauty of uh, the the games. I mean, you mentioned the the fans uh, travelling to um, to the games on Boxing Day. For me, I, I was explaining this to my girlfriend the other day about the Derby match and how historically they were always played around Christmas, you know, to respect the players 
and the fans. Um, so quite frequently you'd have teams playing each other and then the reverse fixture uh, just a few days later. And obviously these days it's, it's just changed so much. How fun is that to like play your arch rival from the same town mm. and then get to, like if you lose, you get to play them a few days later to rectify it. Absolutely. Or the vice versa. It's like, that's so exciting, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. But look, I mean, you know, they, these uh, can often throw up some really interesting results. So our first stop on our magical history tour. Uh, <laughs> nice. Thanks. Uh, it's actually back to Boxing Day, the 26th of December, 1963, uh, where in 10 First Division games, uh, there was 66 goals scored. Um, and there are truly some remarkable results. In 10 games. So we were talking, this is the old Premier League, isn't it? It's division the old top one, division, the first top division. There's 10 games and 66 goals. Absolutely. I mean, that, so that's an average of 6.6 goals. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Maths is Ian McEnany there. Sorry, yeah. thinking aloud there. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so the results are sort of the most famous results in uh, the Football League's history, I think. Um, Blackpool won, Chelsea 5, Burnley 6, Manchester United 1, Fulham 10, Ipswich 1, Leicester City 2, Everton 0. Quite a boring result, (laughs) (laughs) comparatively. Liverpool 6, Stoke 1, Nottingham Forest 3, Sheffield United 3, uh, Sheffield Wednesday 3, Bolton 0, uh, West Brom, Albion 4, Tottenham Hotspur 4, Wolverhampton Wanderers 3, Aston Villa 3, and then, this is just probably my favourite, West Ham 2, Blackburn Rovers 8. <laughs> and Brilliant. if you check your pools coupon, you will see at the bottom. <laughs> well, that's it. But what's that, great is, is- uh, that is extraordinary. Like, actually, West Ham getting done 8-2. At home on Boxing Day by Blackburn. It's just unbelievable. It's special, but what, what's even more unusual is these. most of these games were replayed two or three days later and they're almost reversed. Most of the teams here that got an absolute hiding, like Manchester United, they're getting beat 6-1 by Burnley. They went and stuffed them 5-1 in the return <laughs> leg. Like, and it, it just mean, happened throughout. That is very festive, isn't oh, it? Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, it's like... I'd say they've all been on the beers and the Christmas pudding and uh, they all played like puddings. It's uh, <laughs> absolutely brilliant. It, it's almost like they've had a crisis of conscience about whether giving is better than receiving. Nice. <laughs> and then they've just swapped it around. That um, is, that's... 10-1 as well, Fulham against Ipswich. Yeah. 10-1. I mean, one of the, the, the probably highest scoring games in, in Football League history, I'd, I'd I wager. I think the highest is actually uh, Tramia Rovers against Oldham Athletic. I think that, right. that has the highest aggregate score of 17 goals. So wow. Tramia Rovers beat Oldham Athletic 13-4. Goodness me. And, uh, I Do think you know ha- when? Harold, uh, 1936, I think. And Harold Bunny Bell, I think he scored... Three hat tricks and missed the penalty. <laughs> that is excellent. I'm glad you were on hand to, to give me that. You know, that came out of my memory. <laughs> I've got no paperwork, I've got no access to the internet. Why I know that should disturb us all. So, clearly, the festive season, and probably particularly, although it was a professional game then you were only being paid what you'd be paid to be a labourer or, Mm. you know, it wasn't, and often uh, players had a second job, even in the 60s. So Christmas, I feel like that Christmas dinner, alcohol, the 
other things, the traveling, the commitments would have played more, had more of an impact on those players then than it does now, where yeah. it's highly professionalized and highly paid. Mm. So that kind of explains away the results. <laughs> I, I mean, there's, there's a great explanation. It's just, it's just joy to see some of those scores. Uh, <laughs> real fun. But yeah, look, to get back on our, our time traveling machine, um, maybe back to the to more modern day. Uh, again, on Boxing Day, something happened for the first time in 1999. Chelsea fielded an all-foreign 11 for the first time in English football's history. So all of the people who played were not from Britain. That's true. So, uh, I mean, there were maybe some explanations. Chris Sutton and Dennis Wise were both ill. Uh, Dennis Wise had been the player of the season back in 98. Um, John Luca Vialli was the manager. And, yeah, they were uh, playing Southampton and they had nine nationalities in their team and uh, no Englishmen until the 74th minute when uh, Viali brought on uh, John Harley uh, for Italian Ambrosetti and then another Englishman came on uh, that was Jody Morris for Romanian Dan Petrescu in the 87th Dan Petrescu is one of the uh, few players uh, who had a TV series named after him so Lee Sharp was one he was Sharp, the TV program, right, with okay. uh, Sean Bean. Yeah, got it. Uh, Jerry Taggett. <laughs> right. Taggett, yeah. the uh, Scottish TV detective. Uh-huh. And Dan Petrescu. Pet Rescue. <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> I'm, I'm not 100% aware of where I've made that joke before on the podcast, but I'm Leave happy to say <laughs> a joke can be funny twice, Absolutely. particularly that one. Commit to it. So, so what interests me about that is I feel that even though the, I remember there being a lot of press about this at the time and people complaining about giving an opportunity for English players and the, the impact of the English national team of the influx of foreigners and this proves that foreigners are overrunning game, etc., etc. Mm. But I think that a team like Liverpool in the 60s would have got close to a non-English 11 because of the Irish, Scottish and yep. Welsh contingents yeah, probably a good point. in their team. Uh-huh. And so it depends how far-reaching your xenophobia is. Yeah. <laughs> you know? right. so, so it's quite interesting how... And, and now there's been probably hundreds of lineups since that have been Absol- totally I mean, it's common, non-English. commonplace now. You know, I'd say a lot of games. Uh, I think only about a quarter or something of, of footballers registered in the Premier League are actually from England these days. And, uh, and were they good? The Chelsea team, did they win that day, do you know? They, they, won, the de- they won the day, yes. They, uh, they won 2-1. Tor Andre Flo. Who, um, were they, who were they playing? Southampton. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh, Kevin Davies got the, uh, a consolation goal late on uh, and Tor Andre Flo of Norway got, got both goals. It, it was a routine win, but you know, quite a cosmopolitan 11. Yes, and that was Boxing Day. It had to be. Of course, on Boxing Day. Boxing Day. So moving on from the all-foreign 11, mm. you know, uh, we're, we're obviously we're sat here recording this as immigrants in another, n- another land, so we can, we can empathise with, uh, you know, the, the foreigners. So <laughs> moving on to what's next? Well, next, let's, let's go further back. 1962-63 when there was a huge snowstorm that engulfed uh, the UK and most football matches around that period were cancelled so 
you know, these days people are con complaining about fixture congestion and too many matches and et cetera, et cetera, all the whinging. Um, back, in, back in the 60s, in 62, 63, the complaint was there was no football being played uh, because the weather was so severe. It ended up Halifax had quite an unusual solution to their lack of gate receipts the, coming in. The building society. The Halifax <laughs> Bank, exactly. Um, Halifax no, Town. Halifax Town. Uh, they, they had a great idea. They'd, they'd only been able to play two games, um, sort of from December through till March. Uh, it's only two games because that's how of bad the snow home, was. Because of the weather. Absolutely. So their solution <laughs> to bring some, some gate receipts in, and, you know, there's snow and ice everywhere... Why not turn their pitch into an ice rink? No. Honestly, the Shea Stadium was used for, for ice skating. Uh, <laughs> and that's that what is, they were doing. That is entrepreneurial brilliance. Absolutely fantastic. But what, stri what strikes me is that there were, there were a couple of really old grounds where they wouldn't have missed the game because they'd invested in this very elaborate under under pitch heating system mm. like Highbury the old Arsenal Stadium Goodison Park had it as well which is literally miles miles of piping under the ground mm. to heat it up yeah. like extraordinarily expensive and stupid but this is it I mean back at Back at that time, Halifax were in the third division. Uh, probably didn't have the money of an Arsenal or an Everton. Um, and anyway, it did no good. They, they ended up being relegated to the, to the fourth division. So. Yeah, but they took off figure sta skating and they, well, they were it, Halifax yeah. down, won the Olympics the next... <laughs> I mean, it's incredible, I, isn't it? There must be people who grew up in Halifax who have better memories of the ice skating than they do the football, oh, <laughs> football sure. team. Surely. <laughs> It'd be interesting to see whether it was more expensive to, to skate than it was to... Oh, I didn't think to check. That would have been absolutely great to know. And again, that's kind of... That's a Christmas period. Yeah, it's just... A, <laughs> but two games in like three months is... <laughs> just shows you. Oh, marvellous. So now we'll go even further back. Uh, and it's time for the answer of the quiz question. What was so popular that it was banned by the FA in 1921? Do you... Have any ideas at all? 1921, things that were popular. Um, heroin. <laughs> uh, I mean, possibly. It, uh, but no, certainly... It's Moorish. It, I, I, think, <laughs> I think, you know, I'm trying to think of things that are almost addictive. Am I, am I on the right track? Uh, no. Unfortunately okay, um, not. Bands that took moustaches were very popular in that period. Uh, again, yeah, they were popular, but no, the FA didn't have an official um, stance um, on the moustache that I'm aware. Maybe flat caps, they were very popular in no. the day. Again, yeah, 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 you're, oh, you're way out. Let me hang let on, hang on. Wembley Stadium was built around that time, right? 1921. They, they did have the army come in and, and, and stand on the uh, Wembley Stadium. And then they started jumping up and down and, and marching, standing on the spot to test whether it was strong enough, which seemed foolish in the extreme. Did they ban um, goose-stepping or <laughs> marching? No, you're way out. Um, it, it's actually far more shocking. Uh, it's women playing football. Girls will be boys. And as football is a man's game, girls, of course, have to play it. Altogether, there's a lot of pretty play. 
especially around the rosebud mouth of the No Stripes goal. With the speed and determination of bargain basement hunters, the Stripes force the pace. After a few more minutes of perfectly sweet play, during which the ball goes into feminine touch and beauty bites the dust, Terry's scored two goals. A little cat. The FA took a hard line against the growth of the women's game. Obviously, during the First World War, a lot of the men were away, and the women's game was was growing more and more popular. The most successful and, and popular team of, of the day was a team from Preston, uh, the Dick Kerr's Lady of Preston. I was 15 years old when my mum saw an advert in the, a local newspaper, and it was a Mr Franklin looking for um, lady football players. So off I went and whatever you my boots and black and white socks on and whatever you the famous white dickhead shirt. That's so proud I was. They had 53,000 people turn up to watch uh, one of their games. That, there was that played in, in Liverpool, wasn't it? Was that Goodison or...? Yes, it was at Goodison. Yeah, 53,000 people went to see a women's football game. Mm-hmm. That's extraordinary. That's it. Because women's game doesn't get that now. No. Well, some might, but generally n- not regularly. G- yeah. But but these crowds were, you know, becoming more and more popular. Back in 1917, a crowd of 20,000 spectators had turned up to see England, a team from England, play a team from Ireland. They, they played international matches um, against the French, against the Scots, and were doing great things, the, the English ladies. But the FA didn't like it. Uh, they were worried about it becoming more popular than the men's game in, in some parts of England. So following the 53,000 game at Goodison Park, yeah, they decided to ban it. So in early 1920, that game was played on Boxing Day. And then in early 1922, uh, the Football Association banned women from playing uh, football officially um, and banned them from using Football Association stadiums. So just, you know, disgraceful. We can talk about oppression like that is extraordinary i suppose to put it into context women in britain didn't get the vote till 1927 Mm. and then i think it was only women over 21 years old that point so we're kind of a fair way away from women being seen as equals Mm. but the well what strikes me there is the fear oh it's crazy well they 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 labeled it as being uh distasteful it took me a long time to buy my football boots uh, because i was working at 15 and he found them and he brought them down the stairs we had an open fire threw them on the fire that's that was what my father was like but it made me more determined to every time he did something like that made me more determined and whatever to carry on with what i was doing and what uh, what I was enjoying. It's just absolutely ridiculous. What's really extraordinary about this ban, would you like to take a guess on when it was lifted? <laughs> oh, come on. I won't, I won't expose you. Oh, 1971. Wow. The 70s. 1971. Women are demanding fair play on the football field. This match between the Amersham Angels and the Luton Ladies took place soon after the Football Association had been nagged into allowing women's teams to play on affiliated grounds. At the professional level, I think women should stay out of it and stay at home and, um, and make babies and cook. I was just saying uh, to Linda now as we were watching the Belgian team warm up, uh, they haven't got women's bums. <laughs> well, there is a, that is a sexist comment. <laughs> and you just think about the damage that's done 
to women's sport, but particularly women's football in England, you know, the Lionesses are going great guns at the moment, but it just set everything back. You had 53,000 people turning out to watch the women in 1921. And you think it, how that could have caught light? Mm. That would have changed history. Playing football and whatever, you opened different doors, different people and the way they lived. And I wanted some of that. I didn't want to be, you know, little girl in the council estate, you know, getting married, say, 18 and 19. That would have changed everything in so, terms of education, school, like in terms of the way we perceive each other in, in society, that could have been a massive... I suppose that's what they're afraid of. Yeah, and, I guess and you're right. I suppose the other context here is that football was very much a working-class mm-hmm. sport, yeah. and to have some equality mixed in with that would be very problematic for the possibly the, the ruling authorities. Yeah. Man, that's fascinating, though. That's 1971. Crazy. Yeah. So during that period, they ended up the the English ladies uh, ended up playing most of their games at rugby grounds. Um, obviously, not suited to, to football really. And so, yeah. So when England were lifting the World Cup in 1966, it was unauthorized for females to play in FA registered grounds. Correct. For another five years. Absolutely insane, isn't it? <laughs> this this podcast over the course of its life is going to throw up some interesting things, but that is fascinating <laughs> and exceptionally disappointing as well. But it, look, it's not like the English FA are progressive. No, even today. <laughs> the fact that, and this annoys a lot of other countries, that the English FA unlike any other international FA, call themselves the FA. Yes. Because it's like the FA. Yeah. We, are, we are it. They don't call themselves the English FA because they're not going to stoop to the level of any other nation. Yeah. That level of arrogance, is, it's not surprising that something like that come along. But no. yeah. wow. English, English arrogance, often wow. not surprised. Well, that, that's, it seems like we went down a fairly serious rabbit hole there. Cheer us up, Matt. Have you got any any other fun facts that <laughs> happened around Christmas just to just to lighten the mood after that uh, dreadful, disastrous decision? I'm not sure if it's going to lighten the mood, but certainly, I guess, manager sackings this time of year. The pressure can be on from the fans, from the board. As you say, there's so much football being played, um, and it's probably the time, if you're going to make a change, you need to make it around December, January, because there's a big sense, and we haven't discussed this yet, but there's a big sense that where you lie on the table after the Christmas period is going to indicate where you're going to finish up. Like that Christmas period is so intense, so packed with fixtures that it's seen as a pivotal moment in the season. And the season starts kind of the end of August, finishes up in May. Yeah. Christmas is the real sticky area of the season where if you're bottom of the table by Christmas after the Christmas period first first of Jan then you're going to be in strife that's it so it is a pivotal moment so it is one of those where I reckon there'd be a few chairmen out there who get a bit you know they have a Christmas pudding and they have a brandy and they think I'm going to make a change well normally you'd expect a change to be made 
uh, maybe just before, just after Christmas, perhaps on a, on a work day. Um, but Jose Mourinho's father, Jose Mario de Santos Mourinho Felix, he was actually fired on Christmas Day when Mourinho was nine or ten years old. Um, what it, job did he do? He was a football manager. Oh, <laughs> I thought he was just like you were going to say, oh, he worked in the no, turkey no, factory. No. <laughs> Sorry, I should have been clear. <laughs> but no, Mourinho talks about it. Uh, he talked about it back in 2004 in an interview um, and about how tough football can be and how, how ruthless. And he says, oh, I know really well because, yeah, it was Christmas Day. He was nine or ten years old and his, his dad got the chop. So do you know who who is he managing? Do you know? He was managing in Portugal, but I don't yeah, know the name yeah. of the team. So he's managing Portuguese team professional, and Christmas Day comes along. Bang. That you're out. That's a fairly brutal well, outlook from the. Well, I just wonder why not wait until, you know, the twenty sixth. <laughs> like <laughs> like I, maybe even after the game, just yeah, let your family have a nice day. Yeah, that's it. Just. But I, that's why we're recording a podcast and not you know, chairman of the board in. A professional football club we're that's just not true. ruthless we, enough that's it yeah I guess once the decision's made why wait yeah Get I rid. mean there's some stuff in this podcast that should be cut <laughs> but I just haven't got the heart <laughs> <laughs> if we record on Christmas day this will be <laughs> nothing will be edited <laughs> nothing's in <laughs> so that well man well it almost explains a little bit of Mourinho's ruthlessness I think because he he's quite a mean-spirited guy or i feel like he's become a mean-spirited character i think so in recent years yeah he's become a bit a bit grinchy i i i still like him but i will at least i want to like him but it's becoming harder i loved him when he first come on the scene and uh he was just a breath of fresh air i thought the way he was with the press the the team he built at chelsea with the players and the air of arrogance confidence that they played with it was was brilliant and it's quite, I almost feel like watching the demise of a man. Mm. And it wouldn't surprise me if, if he got sacked on Christmas Day to mirror, you know, like to mirror his father's. I mean, that would be a remarkable story. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a consolation is that Jesus was born. So, you know, it puts things in perspective. Uh, so we're talking of the Christmas period. We're talking about football. My mind immediately went to one thing. The, the greatest football Christmas story of all time, surely. Which is? Which is the Armistice game in 1914. The British soldiers versus the German soldiers. In the First World War. The trench match. The Great War. As it was known, that was what it was called. Like, it wasn't called the First World War because they didn't think they'd have a second. Well, no, it's the war to end all oh, wars. Yeah. <laughs> Six weeks and it'll be over. Yeah, home by Christmas. They weren't home by Christmas, but they were in the trenches in the north of Europe. Mm. What happened? Well, to, to misquote Rodney Dangerfield, I went to a fight the other night and a football match broke out. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, in all probability, uh, sad as it is, this game probably never happened. Don't and tell me that, Matt. Look, not it, it, the the likelihood is there was no one game. Uh, so what you're uh, saying is that not that it didn't happen, but there was it was loads of games. Probably, but also it was probably more kickabouts than proper matches. Um, I mean, there's so many quotes and letters. Uh, from soldiers saying that they were involved in so much, so many witnesses that it's 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 definitely I think factual that there was an armistice. 
people went over the, the trenches and exchanged buttons and photographs and stories and cigarettes and, and things like that. I mean, I think that's beyond a doubt. Um, the doubt really is about what kind of a game it was. And the way that we kind of romanticise about it or see it. Like, we're, we're expecting, like, floodlights and the, them selling pies. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and an orange ball. That's it. <laughs> no, I mean, and the a orange, referee. And the orange ball would have probably been useful as the, the pitch or the uh, the ground between the trenches would have been torn to shreds by the, yeah. the bombs and everything. But, um, no, I think... So something would have happened but I think it's probably more likely that maybe rather than using a football they used an improvised football you know what one one famous letter here or a quote from a letter was I should think there were a couple of hundred people taking part I had a go at the ball I was pretty good back then at 19 everybody seemed to be enjoying themselves there was no sort of ill will between us there was no referee and no score no tally at all it was simply a melee nothing like the soccer you'd see on television see that that sounds wonderful to me. That sounds like some of the games I played in the playground. Absolutely. It school. does. It sounds like playground football, doesn't yeah, it? We're just like, you know, you're playing and then all of a sudden other people join in yeah. and there's just no way of stopping it. Yeah. It just it's carries just, on and just on. everyone's okay. Yeah, so it, it probably happened in maybe in a couple of different places, sort of up and down the, the line. Um, I think that the, the sort of higher-ups from my research, it seems that it probably wasn't too popular with the, the senior guys in the army because they were worried about fraternising with the enemy. Um, but, I mean, it's just such a glorious, lovely image. Uh, you know, whatever happened, I think, is always going to be quite murky and difficult to, to really sort of see. But, you know, the idea of these men just getting out on Christmas Day and sort of going across and, and making friends for a couple of hours before going back to the killing is just beautiful. So I was told I was playing uh, futsal indoor soccer, and I was told off by one of my teammates for fraternising with the enemy, the other team, because I was having a chat before the game. <laughs> like, it's a mixed social league on a Thursday <laughs> night. If my teammate was there at Christmas Day, this game wouldn't have happened. Mm. It seems <laughs> seems remarkable, like of like how bleak the situation well, would have been. One of the quotes, uh, which was really powerful, was from a from a British soldier who saw some Germans, and they were unarmed. He just said, "Well, I couldn't shoot them in cold blood. Just couldn't do it. I couldn't shoot them in cold blood." And you think that's a pretty pretty cool attitude to have. I mean, it all started with them exchanging Christmas carols, uh, famously singing. Uh, still an act and silent night to each other and then shouting like happy christmas <laughs> to each other and it, kind of ironically because it's not going to be a happy christmas when you're stuck in a trench it's it's a bit like flirting isn't it yeah it's like the kind of uh, you're taking a risk you know you can imagine on the on the british side it's like oh bayek uh, oh, i really wish it was home with my family and then they, they start silent nights holy night and then they can hear on the German side, and they're thinking, they, they've changed the words. <laughs> <laughs> Going to go over and correct them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
I suppose there's there's a paradox here between two cultures, the German culture, the British culture, and the language, which has, have so much in common and so many similarities, including a royal family, mm. <laughs> that they should be friends. Yeah. And this almost goes back to what we were talking about, the female, like the ruling class against the working class, feeling that maybe you know, they didn't want people to get out of their place. And that these men were sent to to the war with very um a very odd sense of purpose. Like General Haig, who was one of the um generals for the British Army, his tactic, official tactic, was if we send enough men over the top, the enemy will run out of bullets and then we'll be able to take their land. Now that's not really thinking about the men who have to die with those bullets. No. And the men behind, the when they went over the top, they've calculated how many bullets were misshot. And part of it's seen about like the inaccuracy of the weapons, but also the, uh, the fact that men didn't want to shoot each other, mm. that they fired most of the bullets into the into ground the or into the air because they didn't want to shoot each other. And here, the football that we talk about that brings people together, that is the great game, the, the world game, seems like, I don't want you to tell me that this didn't happen. I want you to tell me that it was <laughs> just brilliant and poetic and a beautiful moments. Mm. And maybe it wasn't, but, but I'm hoping it was. Look, I mean... It- Whatever the reality, you know, it's, it's an absolutely glorious image. Um, probably not quite how the Sainsbury's advert portrayed it, but certainly... Tell us about the Sainsbury's ad. Oh, it's just... <laughs> Is know, it? Whimsical. <laughs> a lot of... That's one word for it. A lot of whimsy. Yeah, I don't know. A lot of romance. Um, but look, look, whatever happened, certainly, uh, it you know, there was an armistice for the, for the day and, uh, you know, some sort of football was was played and i think that's that's really cool the humanity it, it's depressing that the next day they went back and started shooting at each other again and in times like that football has a great capacity to bring people together but i fear that in the case of the of females not being allowed to play it actually divides people Absolutely. and at a time like christmas does make you kind of reevaluate. you know you, you generally might have to spend time with family and friends who you don't want to sure. <laughs> you might have to support a team who you don't want to <laughs> but it's christmas so you so you get to you watch five games kind of, of football <laughs> feel obliged to play i mean imagine if you were to be one of those play, uh, supporters who went from ipswich to fulham and watch your team get tanked 10-1 on Boxing Day. Just magnificent, isn't it? We've gone back into the past over 100 years. What do you think football on Boxing Day will look like in 100 years' time? I think it'll be hot. <laughs> you think it'll be hot? Ian, I'd say, I'd say in 100 years' time, it'll be hot and, and probably quite wet. 
you know, the way the world's going. <laughs> well, we we'll just have to play underground. Yeah, yeah, underwater yeah. or underground. Um, or on Mars or something. Well, we'll you know. The game <coughs> will endure, though. Don't worry about that. So to kind of end this beautiful narrative and historical journey through football over Christmas time, I re- when I was younger, I used to watch Tramia Rovers. Now, I know all the listeners have heard of Tramia Rovers, and they, you know, they're bombarded in the media by Tramia Rovers, and I know you're probably all fed up of Tramia Rovers. But I used to go watch Tramia Rovers... I remember going on Boxing Day and in a small stand that runs the length of the field. Uh, it's, it's nice in winter because it's a small stand with a roof on. So it's the warmest of all the stands. It's the least exposed. Nice. So it's actually quite nice to be in there. And Warmest or least cold? Least cold. <laughs> <laughs> Spot the optimist. <laughs> so, so I remember I went went with my dad and the nice thing about um watching you know it it was very cold but the nice thing going with my dad was that he seemed to know half the crowd because he he worked in a big factory not too far away and he used to say hello to a lot of people kind of on the way in and on the way out of the ground and we're in the game and we're sat down and this stand it's only about sort of 20 rows deep or something and we're sat near the back and my dad sees his friend from work he's about two rows ahead but you know 12 seats across and my dad sees him and says Dave do you want a cup of tea so Dave turns around and and by the everybody the game's not very interesting everybody's watching so (laughs) Dave turns around, says, "Yes, thanks, thanks a lot, Frank. Yeah, I'll have, I'll have a cup of tea." And so my dad produces a flask of tea. He gets a cup out. He pours the tea into the cup, passes it to the person in front who he doesn't know. They pass it along twelve people along to Dave. Dave gets a cup of tea. It should be all sorted, but it's not because <laughs> my dad then shouts, "Dave, do you want milk?" And it, outside of his inside pocket, he gets a carton of milk. Oh, wow. Passes that down. Then that milk comes back. Then he says, Dave, do you have sugar? And he gets two pounds of sugar. Wow. In a paper bag out of his pocket. Passes that down to Dave. <laughs> and then he says, Dave, do you want a Twix? He's brought the, you know, the single finger of yeah. Twix that you get. Absolutely and we favorite. had loads, because it was Christmas. <laughs> My dad had grabbed a handful on the way out from the salad bowl in the, in the fridge, which was full of Twix, not salad. And he said, Dave, do you want a Twix? And Dave says, no, thanks. And my dad says, no, Dave, have a Twix. And he says, no, thanks, Frank. And he says... Stare the sugar in your tea. He goes, all right then. <laughs> I like that. So then a Twix gets passed down, 12 rows, and for me... Spirit of Christmas. That's the spirit of Christmas. <laughs> Dave and Frank, bothering 10 they, football fans. But also, just the politeness and coherence of the people passing these items down the row and back. 
<laughs> is just one that, you know, you hear a lot about the game, about hooligans, violence, etc., etc. Nonsense. Dave got his cup of tea with two sugars, and with milk, and a Twix that he didn't want. I love it. So, well, happy Christmas. Well, in there, football's not the winner. Dave was the winner. <laughs> so, Clearly. So... <laughs> That was excellent. Oh, thank you very much. And very festive as well. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter and share it with your friends as well. Re- review us. That helps as well. Reviewing on iTunes uh, or wherever you get your podcasts. And also have a look on the Turnstile Network website where we've got some great mates who are making great podcasts as well. And that's going to get better as we go into 2019 as well. But Merry Christmas, everyone. Happy Christmas, guys. Enjoy it. I will. We'll speak to you next time. Hurrah, 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 we're here again. Hurrah, 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 we're here again. We don't care who we're meeting. The Preston team will take a lot of eating. We're here to cheer the lasses from Lancashire to fight with might and main. Cause ours is a good team, ours is. Hurrah, 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 we're here again.